Have you ever been to a church service and, and the, the pastor is up there and he's, he's up there and he's preaching and he says, guys, we need to walk in the spirit. We need to, we need to do and, and, and walk is in the spirit. We need to go. And then you, and you sit back and, you, and you, when we think, okay, so what does it mean to walk in the spirit? You know, today we want to talk about that. You know, what does it really mean to walk in the spirit according to the scriptures? Because I found many times that when we talk about this term, walking in the spirit, it's kind of like in the air. It's kind of like a, a feeling. It's kind of like a ooey gooey thing. But what, if, we, if we pin it down, what does it really mean to walk in the Spirit? In this video, we're going to continue our Romans series and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7 to 9. Paul starts Romans 7 off with an, with an interesting heading, and he, or, or well, ra- rather the translator for Bibles have inserted an interesting heading. And, it, and the heading is released from the law. So in context of walking in the spirit, we could easily think that, well, we're released from the law, I guess. This is what this chapter is going to be about. And so, and he's also going to talk about walking in the spirit. So what if these two things are polar opposite? You know, are they? Because that's oftentimes been the traditional train of thought around Paul's interpretation of the law and walking in the spirit and all these things. But I'd, I'd like to propose that Paul, when he talks about, says things like, you know, deaf to the law, that we are dead to the law when we are now in Christ. What if I told you that he's actually speaking about a different law than what we think about when we say the word law? When I walk up to anyone on the street and I talk and I tell them, what is the law of the Bible? They'll, they'll probably go and they'll say, oh, it's the Ten Commandments or it's the, the Old Testament or, or anything like that. But what if Paul is actually speaking about more than one law? In this video, we're going to explore all this and uh, Christina is going to be joining me. Christina, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone again? Hey everyone, my name is Christina, and like Petey said, we're going to be delving into Romans 7 through 9, starting with discussing what Paul or what laws Paul is talking about here and shedding some light on that and what it means to walk in the Spirit. Right, exactly. So um, let's dig right in. Um, I'd like us to open up on Romans 7, verse 1. And in the first verse, Paul says something really interesting. Um, I'm going to read to you. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I speak to those knowing the Torah, that the Torah rules over a man as long as he lives. So by the way, when we say the word Torah, we're talking about the law. Torah simply means instruction or teaching of God. So he's saying that in the first verse of Romans 7, guys, okay, well, listen up. I'm speaking to those who know the law. Now, that's interesting. Because you know what Paul just did? He just said that if you don't know the law, you're not going to understand one more word of what I'm going to say throughout the rest of Romans. Because he's speaking about it from a, or from a perspective of understanding and knowing the law of God. Because like we've discussed in previous episodes of the series, Paul was like a scholar of the word. He, he knew the Torah like inside out. And so now here he's actually telling us, guys, I'm about to speak about some things that you're not going to get if you don't know the Torah. Now, you know, this, this poses a problem because if we go and we teach Romans without any understanding really of the Torah and, and a deep um, um, learning of it, we will most probably misunderstand Paul, just like we read in Peter, where Peter said that, hey, if watch out for Paul's writings. Because if you do, if you, he speaks of things which are hard to understand. And he goes on and he says that those who are unlearned or untaught will twist them to their own destruction and it will lead to their lawlessness. Could it be that Paul is saying the same? That he's saying that, hey, um, you're, if you don't know the law, you're going to think I'm speaking against it. You're going to think that I'm actually leading you into lawlessness or thinking that I'm, but, but don't, you need to get this balance. You need to understand the truth so well before you dig into these things that I'm going to talk about, which is about the spirit. Right. So, and then in the next verse, he, he goes on, he says, and now he starts, he digs right into a concept that is only inside the Torah. And he says, Romans seven, verse two, for the married woman has been bound by Torah to the living husband. But if the husband dies, she is released from the Torah concerning her husband. 
So then, while her husband lives, she shall be called an adulteress if she becomes another man's. But if her husband dies, she's free from that part of the law, so that she's not an adulteress, having become another man's. That's interesting. Paul is directly referencing the Torah here. He's directly referencing a law in the in the in the Torah, and he, he says that. So if a husband lives, and there's a woman, and they've been married. You know, and they, and it says that um, while her husband lives, she shall be called an adulteress if she becomes another man's. So, if the, as long as they're together, she and she goes to someone else, she's immediately an adulteress. In other words, there's a there is a, a a union there. But if her husband dies, if he falls away, she's free from that law, right? And she is, and she's not an adulteress if she then goes to be with someone else. So why is he telling us this? He's refer he, he's trying to teach us something in reference to God and his bride. But let's first see what the law says with regards to what is this law that he's referring to? Well, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 3, we read, Her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before God. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord has given God has given you as an inheritance. So basically, if someone sends away, if a man sends away his wife, he divorces her or whatever, and she goes to be with someone else, she, he's not allowed to take her back because that will be defiling the land. In Jeremiah 3 verse 1, we read the same. If a man divorces his wife and she goes away from him and it becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord. So in Jeremiah, this is actually God proclaiming, Israel, you have been with another lover. You have been with someone else. How can you return to me? Because according to my own law, according to God's own law, according to Deuteronomy 24 verse 3, God cannot take back a, that wife who's been with someone else. And God actually divorced Israel. If he, in, in, in Jeremiah 3 verse 8, we, we read about how God said that he divorced Israel. He said that she saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. So God, this is where it comes down to, brothers and sisters. God divorced Israel. Okay? Israel is far off from God. Israel had, went whoring with the nations. She went far off and now she's defiled. And now there is a problem because God cannot take Israel back, his bride back, because of his own law that says that if, as, if, a, if a woman has been defiled, she, her husband cannot take her back. So this brings a big problem for us because now we're kind of in this middle. We're kind of like in, we were in this place where God could not take us back and we're far from him. We're divorced and there's no way to have him again. There's no way to come into his presence again. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans here, this he's now pro pro proclaiming God's solution to this problem. And God's solution was the following. He says, if her husband dies, she's free from that part of the law, so that she's not an adulteress, having become another man's. And so how God came to solve this massive problem was he came in the flesh and he came to die. He came to die for his bride. He came to die to get his bride back because there's no other way like we explained. So the only way for him to get his bride, divorced bride back is for him to die. And so God comes and he dies and he sets Israel free from the law of marriage. You see now this sounds familiar. He sets her free from the Torah. But see, when he talks about the Torah here, he's talking about this specific law in Deuteronomy 24, verse 3. He's not talking about everything, all oh, everything that God has ever given us, every instruction. Oh, God just he, 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 done, he did away with all that. No, he's talking about this one here in Deuteronomy 24, the law of marriage. And so basically now God came to die and now he's raised as Yeshua. Yeshua raised from the, from the dead. And now, Israel, after she's been released from the law of marriage, released from that, she's now able to marry Yeshua yet again. And so this is what Paul is getting at. He's, 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 he's proclaiming this amazing gospel message between God and his bride. And so 
Then he goes on in Romans 7 verse 4 and he says, So my brothers, you also were put to death to the Torah through the body of Messiah, for you to become another's, the one who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of the flesh through the Torah were working in our members to bear fruit to death. So because we were divorced from God, we were unable to be righteous. We had no relationship. We had no ability. We had no indwelling of the spirit. We had no, if you, like, if you have no relationship with God at all, how can you follow what he decreed? How can you be obedient to what he said if there's no relationship? We were in that place. There was no relationship at all. And so God restored that relationship. He set us free from the law, that, that law that, we, that bound us in, in terms of we, we could not, we, we, we had nowhere to go. He set us free from that. So he remarried us. And now we are able to keep the law because with the raising of, of Yeshua from the dead, he sent a spirit to us to fill us up, to enable us to walk as he walked and be obedient to what he told us to be obedient to. So now because we have a relationship with him, we're no longer divorced. We're now in covenant with him. Now we can be obedient to that Torah, to that law of God. So God did not abolish the law. He set us free from it in that he came to take the consequences of the law upon himself by coming to die. So then in Romans 7 verse 6, we read the following. But now we have been released from the Torah having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of letter. Now, what does this mean? He, he says we're, now, we're serving in the newness of spirit and not in that old letter. You know, oftentimes we've, we've interpreted that to mean that we don't need to be obedient to the word or the, the letter or, you know, the, the, the written word. We now just need to be in the spirit. We just now need to just be like, we can just like, be and and just follow our heart and but yeah the law if the law is written on our heart it will by all means convict us of obedience to the father's instructions but what does this mean that we serve a newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter you see the letter of the law is really comes down to this checklist kind of behavior that we can easily fall in into this this idea that um there's this list of one, two, three, and it's just like checklist of one, two, three, and now I'm righteous, now I'm good, now I'm all good with God, and everything is right. But what if I told you that that's not God's heart either? It's it's the newness of spirit that he talks about is this inward desire that we have, this changing of our heart where we want to be good. We want to be obedient. It's no longer this just checklist of ABC, follow this. It's now this inward transformation that changes us into wanting to be. And that's what, what he means when he says that we will now serve a newness of spirit. And that newness of spirit is when we were raised with him from the dead and ineligible to remarry him, remarried him. And now we're in newness of spirit with him in relationship. And we want to be obedient to the things that he instructs us to do so then in romans 7 verse 7 in the next verse he says what then shall we say is the torah sin let it not be however i did not know sin except through the torah for also the covetousness i knew not if the torah had not said you shall not covet but sin having taken the occasion through the command did work in me all sorts of covetedness for poor from the torah sin is dead now it's interesting good paul is saying is the Torah the problem? Is the Torah, the instruction of God, the sin? Let it not be. He says, I did not know sin except by the Torah. Guys, he's, this is a big thing. Paul is saying, the apostle is saying, I had no idea what sin was. I didn't know what the, the definition of sin was. Besides for the fa fact that I studied the Torah, that I studied the law, the teaching of my father. The books of Moses, if it was not for me knowing that, I would not know what sin is. I would not know, he says, actually, I would not know what it is to covet. Because if the Torah didn't say, you shall not covet in Exodus 20, verse 17. And so, and then he says that sin take, took occasion through the command. It's interesting what that, he says there. Sin 
take took occasion through the command and that did work in me all sorts of covetedness for apart from torah sin is dead now what does that mean does that mean that the command is a bad thing because sin takes occasion through it and makes us stumble hmm you know let me let me let me state to you this and submit this to you in the garden okay we had all of these trees thousands i don't know how many trees were in the garden of eden but let's say there were millions of trees and god comes up to adam and eve and he's like i have an instruction for you this instruction is that there is you can you can eat of every single tree every one of them there's so many of them all of them you can enjoy for yourself but there is one that you do not touch there's one that you do not eat its fruit of and how funny that that is the very tree that they went to. That is the very, they, it's almost like if God even never told them about that instruction, they may have never even eaten of the tree because they wouldn't have even known. So does that now mean that God's instruction was bad? By no means. God's instruction was good. It is a good thing for our father to tell us what not to do. But see, because of our how we are as humans, what we do is, it's like, a, it's like putting cookies on a shelf and telling a child, do not eat of these cookies. You see, we are tempted and we, and we then want to do what we ought not to do. And what we ought not to do, we do. And so that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying that through the command, sin took occasion. So this, this does not mean the command is bad. The command is very good, holy, righteous. He's simply stating that we are bad. We are the problem. Adam and Eve was the problem, not the father's instruction on what not to do. And so then in, he goes on in, in verse 9, he says, And I was alive apart from the Torah once. But when the command came, the sin revived and I died. And the command which was to result in life, this I find to result in death. For sin, having taken the occasion through the command, deceived me, and, it, and through it killed me. So that the Torah, get this guys, so that the Torah truly is set apart, the command is set apart, and righteous and good. Therefore, has that which is good become death to me? Let it not be. But the sin, that sin might be manifest, was working death in me through what is good. Through that command, which is good. So that sin through the command might become an exceedingly great sinner. For we know that the Torah is spiritual, but I'm fleshly sold under sin. He is saying the Torah, Torah is holy, righteous, good, set apart, all these amazing things. And then he says the Torah is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I am carnal. I I'm unable to reconcile with this spiritual thing in my flesh. And see, this is, this is the thing, guys. He is exalting the Torah as something really good, but he's saying, I am the problem because I can't keep it in my flesh. But then we need to ask the question, if, be, if the Torah is spiritual and he says that he, if we, when he walks in the flesh, he can't, he can't deal with it, what does it mean to walk in the spirit because in the you'll see in the next few chapters paul is about to de delve into what it means to actually then walk in the spirit you see when he walks in the flesh he, he really can't be obedient but when he walks in the spirit you know this might change let's see what he says so in romans 7 verse 19 he says for the good that i wish to do that i do not do like i said but the evil i do not wish to do this i practice Verse 20, and if I do that which I do not wish, it's no longer I who work it, but the sin dwelling in me. I find therefore this law, that when, get this guys, this law, he's speaking to something else, now, a specific law. He says, I find this law, that when I wish to do good, that the evil is present with me. For I delight in the Torah of God, according to the inward man. But I see another Torah in my members battling against the Torah of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the Torah of sin, which is in my members. This is interesting, guys. You remember in the beginning, we mentioned this other law. 
that's this is what it is he's saying hey you know there's this torah you guys know about this torah this law of god we all know it but i want to talk to you about a different law something totally different and he says this law is when i wish to do good i do evil my flesh overtakes me and then he says but i delight in the law of god i delighted and i but he says then this other law it battles against the torah of my mind which is the Torah of God, because the Torah of God, the law of God is what is in his mind. He has been studying it his whole life. It is present in his mind. And he says, but this other law is battling against that law of God. And it brings him into captivity to the law of sin, which is in his members. So we need to then ask, you know, what, what, there's these two laws, you know, the, the, and the, law, the laws are this. It's the law of God. Which we we that 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 God calls us to be obedient to, and there's this law of sin and death. This law that says that if you if you are if you are in sin, if you break the law of God, you're in sin, and the consequence of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. And then he goes and he says, "Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death?" Thanks be to God through Yeshua the Messiah, Master. So then with the mind, I truly serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the Torah of sin. You know what he's really saying? He says with his flesh, he disobeys the law of God. He sins. We all sin, as we know. And through that, he serves the Torah of sin. And what is sin? The transgression of the law. So he's saying, I delight in the law of God, but I break it. And when I break it, it's when my it's when my flesh rules. It's when my flesh takes over and serves this Torah of sin, this law of sin and death. So what's amazing as Paul is concluding this chapter, Romans seven, is that he is in his conclusion, he's juxtaposing two separate laws, one being the law of God, which he desires to keep. But yet there's another law, like PD said, that wages war. It's that law of sin and death. And like, you know, Yeshua came when he preached, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. There's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. There's also the kingdom of darkness, the enemy. And just like we have God's law, we have the law of sin and death. There's two things at war within us that when we are filled with the spirit, he empowered, the spirit empowers us to walk in God's law. But there's another law as well of the flesh of sin that brings temptation, that causes us to want to walk in disobedience. So what does it mean now to walk in the spirit? Because that is directly connected to walking in obedience to God's law. Because as Paul said in Romans 7, God's law is spiritual. And so we'll get into that in Romans 8. Right, exactly. In Romans 8, he directly digs into and he starts talking about this whole idea of walking in the spirit. Verse 1, there is then now no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Yeshua, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, okay? For the Torah of the spirit of, of the life in Messiah Yeshua has set me free from the Torah of sin and of death. So the Torah of spirit and life set me free from this Torah of sin and death, this one we've been talking about. And so, you know, what does that mean? In, in verse three, he then goes on, he says, for the Torah being powerless, that it was weak through the flesh, because in his flesh, he couldn't keep it. God, having sent his own son in the likeness of flesh of sin, concerning sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So that the righteousness of the Torah should be completed in us. You don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He says the righteousness, in other words, the right standing, that whole idea of, of that we need to be perfectly obedient to it, to be able to be holy and righteous and come into God's presence. He says that was completed in us through what Messiah came to do for us. And then he goes and he actually now pins down in verse five. He starts pinning down. What does it mean? To walk in the spirit and this is really this is like the the biggest part of this piece of what he's talking about this is the, the almost a, a a a climax of what he's talking about and he says in verse five for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the matters of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the matters of the spirit for the mind of the flesh is death but the mind of the spirit is life and peace because the mind of the flesh is enmity against God. It does not subject itself to the Torah of God. Neither indeed is it able. 
Those who are in the flesh are unable to please God. Hold up. Paul is saying that the mind of the flesh is at enmity with God. Why? Why? Because it does not submit itself to the Torah of God, the law of God. So he's saying that if you, and then he says in the next verse, there are those who are then in that place, in their flesh, are unable to please God. He is saying that if you are not obedient to the Torah of God and you don't walk that out, you don't subject yourself to the Torah of God, then you're living in your flesh and you're unable to please God. So then we need to ask the question, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? In verse 9 he says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. For if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Messiah, this one is not his. So he's saying, if you're in the flesh, you're not God's. If you don't have the spirit, you're not God's. If, but if you are, if you, and if you're in the flesh, you don't subject yourself to the Torah of God. Therefore, we can only conclude that those who submit themselves, subject themselves to the Torah of God, who are obedient to the law, the instructions of the Father, who are then filled with the spirit, who enables you to do that because the law is written on your heart. Those are the ones who please God, no one else. So the Spirit directs us to the Torah written on our hearts. And if he does, if, if that does not happen, if if then we can only conclude that the Spirit is probably not living in you. The Spirit is probably not there because God says that the Torah must be walked out. The law of God, the word must be walked out. The law that's written on your heart, that same law that Jeremiah the prophet talked about in Jeremiah 31 verse 31 when he said, I'm going to write my law on your heart. What law is he talking about? The Torah, the same, the only law that, what, that he understood and was around back then. So that is how we please God, is that when we walk in obedience to his Spirit, that writes the law on our heart. And then we not only do this spiritually, guys, look, this is crazy because he says that this is, if you want to be spiritual, you know, if you want to be uh, all that led by the spirit, you want to walk in the spirit, you know what that means to do? It means you need to subject yourself to the law of God. That's the definition that Paul gives in Romans. It is as clear as day. And so, Yeah. So I'm going to um, jump in here really quick. In regards to being in subjection to the law of God and then walking in the spirit, what is the connection of those two together? What does that mean, really? What's really amazing, just going back to what I mentioned earlier, in relation to the gospel of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom that Yeshua came to preach, he taught his father's word, the Torah, fully showing the heart of Torah, the spirit of Torah, what it was all about from the very beginning. And also, what else did he do? He walked... And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me in Luke 4 to proclaim liberty to the captive, to restore sight to the blind. And this is something he did both on the spiritual sense to those who were spiritually blind and spiritually in captivity, but also on a physical sense. So we see this beautiful union between walking in Torah and walking in the spirit, which includes it's all about God's restoration plan. It's restoring what was broken and bringing it back to fullness and to wholeness, to full shalom, bringing light where there was darkness, life where there was death. So as we walk in Torah, walking in the spirit and the heart of Torah, that also is walking as Yeshua walked. When he went out, he preached his father's word in love and in boldness. And also he would heal those who would come up in need of healing. And that is our calling, of course, as his disciples, when we're called to walk in his footsteps and to walk as he walked. That is what is required to follow his Torah, not just to go back home and to read Torah and think that's it. That is part of it. Yes. To study yourselves, a proven to God, a work that needs not to be ashamed, rightly discerning the word of truth. But now go out and walk in it. Be that light to the nations that we are called to be. Be that witness for the kingdom, to spread his kingdom and to walk in the spirit because we can only walk through the empowerment of his spirit within us. As Paul writes, it's that same spirit that rose Yeshua from the dead that is within us and that enables us with the law written on our hearts to obey the Father's law, to obey his Torah and to walk in the fullness of the spirit of the Torah, which is bringing about his message of restoration. Exactly. You know, it's there's a fine balance. You can easily... Um, just try and keep the law, like the written letter of the law, like I mentioned in the earlier stage of this video, um, like a checklist and doing it through your flesh. And then you miss the spirit of the law. You miss the, the fact that Yeshua said that the law 
it hangs on these two things. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is really without the, the spirit, without understanding the spirit of the law, you cannot do that. And then you cannot keep the law. You know, you can, um, like a Pharisee, you know, keep a Shabbat, you, uh, you know, rest on the seventh day. You you can do all that, but yet hate your neighbor, yet, you know, um, condemn people and not help and not um, give life on that day. You know, you you can say, oh, you know, I didn't, I never committed adultery. I'm so, oh, you know, but then look at a woman with lust, you know, and all that. So there's this whole idea that it's it's you need to be full of the spirit and keep the law from that place. You need to have the law written on your heart and keep it from that perspective, because, brothers and sisters, I want to submit that you know, and I mean, Christina, we've both seen it. Is you know, there are many people who who quote unquote keep the law. But when you look at their lives, they actually don't because they don't look like Yeshua. They don't walk like He walked. They don't have the love. So yes, you can keep X, Y, and Z and, and boast of that. And oh, you know, look how good I keep the law. But before God, He's going to come and He's going to look at why did you keep the law? How did you keep? What was the, your heart's intent behind it? You know, how, how? What did you do? What was your perspective of others that you love others? while keeping it did you do it out of a place of love for god or did, it, did you do it out of a place of self-righteousness and that um oh, oh look how, how holy i'm look how good i look and look how much better i am than you you know there's that fine line where we can easily fall into this whole camp of lawlessness and and uh you know oh it's just grace 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 all the way to <laughs> separation from God because you can't just rely and say oh it's God's grace God's grace is enough for me while you walk in disobedience and and lawlessness sin but you also can't go on the other side all the way swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and be like um all law but then have no grace for and mercy for people have no love you know and I and I talk about this extensively in my book um reigniting spirit and truth and so you know, God calls us to that place of, of balance. And Paul really, he talks to this. This is the place where you're going to please God. If you want to please God, it's by being obedient to this law that's written on your heart. And it gets back to what Paul even said in the very beginning of Romans. We have to remember that that's the foundation of what he's saying in this book. It's the obedience of faith. Like we've talked about throughout the rest of the videos in this series. It's not only obedience but it's obedience of faith, walking in the spirit of the law and the heart of the Torah, being obedient to what the Father wants us to walk in according to just, just to the beauty of his Torah, just to transform our lives, to walk in that. But like PD mentioned, what are the two pillars of Torah? What does it mean? It's to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves and to have that humility as we do so, to be transformed first and then to go out and be a light and to walk in that. So now we're going to jump to Romans 8, verse 15, where Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Yeshua, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now what's interesting about Paul's usage of the word adoption it's actually a common theme, if you'll notice, in a lot of his um, his letters. He refers to adoption. And why he uses that is that he's using terminology that will connect with his audience as well as he's making his point. Because what's interesting, when you take a look at the culture, what was going on in some of these Roman cities, um, including like Ephesus and others as well, was that it was very common for those, for women who were pregnant to then, when they gave birth, to look at the child and say, would that be a healthy heir? If that child was deemed not good or not fit, it was common to take that child, to leave that child even near the garbage heap, to leave it out in the elements to let it die. And what was growing in um, common occurrence in the fellowships is that they would go out and they would look for these children, these babies, infants who were left there near the garbage heap to take them in, to adopt them into their own family to be their own children. And so as Paul is writing this, what's interesting is he's talking about adoption and become heirs. There were children there in the fellowships who would have been adopted in. 
who would have been connecting with this message of adoption because they were themselves were adopted. And that is the message Paul is talking about in relation to those who are adopted into the kingdom of God, into Israel. You're adopted to become heirs with Yeshua. And it's really quite fascinating and it's beautiful how Paul uses the terminology of the day and the culture of what was going on to directly connect and to speak this message to his audience that also relates with us today in the same way. Right, that's amazing because, you know, he, he goes on, it connects with what he said earlier, you know, he when he talked about Israel and being kind of, when we talked about how Israel was divorced and how he, he, proposed, he showed us how God came to die to release us from that law of marriage so we're unable to remarry him and be with him again. And now he's going in verse 15 and he's basically saying that, you know, you don't have the spirit of bondage. You receive a spirit of adoption. There is no more fear for you. You were in a place far from God. You were separated from him. I mean, what a fearful place to be. But yet now God has reconciled you with him through the death of himself, through his sacrifice to get you back. And now he says that um, he, he's basically saying that you're receiving a spirit of adoption. He adopted you. God adopted you into his kingdom. And he says he calls you in the next verse co-heirs with messiah that's like and what is messiah he is a high priest so that means that we are heirs we're like priests alongside him we are to rule alongside him in his kingdom we are to 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 do kingdom matters alongside him on this earth not just wait till you know we get there one day but while it is here on earth by with intimacy with him we can walk this kingdom out and it's it's amazing because guys we need to remember like this spirit of adoption it means that god is our father think about that for a second i mean he is our father that means you know that those thoughts that those lies that the enemy brings us and when we you know when we've maybe we're fallen short in some way and he's and the enemy comes and tells us you know oh god just rejects you god you know, you're, you're far from God and, and all these lies, these guilts and, and, and shame and all these places where we oftentimes live. He's not saying, hey, he's your father. You can cry out, Abba, Father, to him. And if he's your father, that means that that's not how he works. That's, he's not, he's not a, a father is not someone who, if his son tries, but his son falls short in some way, it's like a child who comes. And I just want to paint a picture for you. Let's say, you know, the father comes into the room and there is a, there, there's a son and the, and the father tells his son, son, make your bed. But this son, he's never made a bed in his life before. He's absolutely horrible at doing it. He gets his bed sheets together and he tries and makes his bed, but he puts the pillow on the wrong side of the bed. He, you know, it just looks horrible and he doesn't even tuck it in well. And the father comes back and the child is kind of like, he, the child knows that he didn't make this bed well. But what will this father do? Will the father now go and, and scream and, 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 and put shame on this child? No, of course not. If an earthly father would not do that, how much more will our father in heaven come and just, oh, come here, son, let me show you. Come here, son, let me show you how to tuck in your bed. Let me show you. And that's exactly what he came to do with Yeshua. When he came in the flesh, he came to walk this thing out and he came to show us how to tuck that bed in. He came to show us how to live a life holy and clean and set apart. But now as we go and we walk and we stumble here and there, he is showing us. He says, no, 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 no. Look at how I walked. This is how you do it. And in patience and kindness, as a father who teaches his son, he adopted us to, to, and treats us in that manner. Okay, now we're going to jump to Romans 8.33, where Paul says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And what's interesting is that this chapter, Romans 8, and also, of course, getting into Romans 9, this word chosen is often translated as God's elect or the word elect. And we've, um, we've gotten some doctrines as we've studied these chapters in Christianity for the last hundreds of years on the doctrine of election, the doctrine of predestination. And what does that mean when he says God's elect? Does God elect certain people for salvation or for damnation? And those are doctrines that are very popular today. And what's interesting when it says, well, who will bring any charges against whom those whom God has chosen? God has chosen, you could say, an elect. But what does that mean? What does that mean when he says he has chosen? In the Greek, for this word elect, 
it's eclectos, which is an adjective derived from eclogomai. And I'm probably messing up the <laughs> pronunciation of that. But this really literally means more so chosen, as it is translated in other passages, chosen. So what does that mean? It's not about salvation, as is commonly taught. He chose for service. He chose a people. He chose Abraham. We go back to Genesis. He chose Abraham to become the father of many nations, to become the father of Israel, who would then, what was their purpose? What was their calling? To serve him and to spread his kingdom, to spread his message of restoration as they walked according to his word, as they obeyed him in faith. Because remember, we have in Hebrews, by faith, Abraham obeyed. So God chose Abraham. God chose Israel. Now, how does that relate to what Paul is talking about here? Well, jumping a little ahead, Paul talks about in Romans 11, how those who are grafted into Israel, you become part of Israel. So we are grafted into this chosen people, grafted into Israel, grafted into the elect, you could say, to serve God. It is about service and in being in his service and serving him. But what has not happened is that those whom he calls, not everyone decided to answer that call. And that's also what Paul talks about, that not all of Israel is Israel. And we'll get to that later in Romans 9. But God chose a people, God chose a people to walk according to his word and to spread his message of restoration, to walk in according to his Torah. But in that, there needs to be that obedience of faith and not simply just doing it in our own strength. And like we've talked about in a moment ago in Romans 8, walking according to the spirit, walking according to the spirit of the Torah. And what does that look like? For God has given his people a calling. And what is that calling? He has chosen his people to go throughout the earth and to spread his message, to spread his kingdom, to spread the message of Yeshua, of salvation. And so what does that look like? And what is Paul talking about here as he goes further into talking about this chosen people? We can go back to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, where God says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And like Petey mentioned a moment ago, in that we are co-heirs with Yeshua, co-heirs in that we are also priests. We're also meant to be a holy, set-apart people, a chosen people. And like Leviticus 19 and 20 says, we are to be holy as he is holy. And the only way we can be holy is we are to walk in his footsteps. Yeshua came to show us how to make the bet. He came to be an example for us that we can walk as he walked and walk in his footsteps. Yeah, and it reminds me of that verse, you know, many are called, few are chosen, you know, and it, it comes down to that, that, you know, God calls many, but few are chosen. Why are few chosen? How do you get chosen? It's be by being obedient. It's by going and taking up the calling in place in your life, walking it out, pursuing God, running the race, and then being chosen. You know, it's like that to whom, you know, when you get, God gives a little to you, a little bit, and he sees what you do with that. And then what you do with that little that he's entrusted to you with, he gives way more and more and more. And it's, I'm also reminded of that, um, the parable of, of Yeshua and the wedding guest. When he talks about the wedding guest, he says, you know, oh, <clears throat> he invited all these guys, to, these people to the wedding, you know, but some of them were busy with their own things. They didn't pitch up. They were busy with the things of the world, basically. They had other things more important. So they were called, but they never attended and they never were never then chosen. So, you know, that's the thing, you know, there's, there's this whole response. The responsibility is on us. It's not, it's not like we're robots and we've got no control. God came and he puts a calling in our lives and he sees, okay, so you've been called to do this. Will that calling be fulfilled in your life by your choices? You see, every disciple, even Yeshua himself had free will and choice to, to walk and in, in a holy manner. Yeshua had an incredible responsibility when God came in the flesh to walk in perfect obedience to his own word. He had a choice to do that. He was called to do it and he fulfilled the calling to the dot. And then he calls the he, he asks us the same to, to fulfill the calling on our lives to then walk as he walked, especially and, and what our individual callings are, whatever that entails. And then we will be chosen as his bride. We will be chosen um, by our bridegroom. That is exactly the point. God has called to us, but we need to respond to that call. He gives us the choice to choose to respond to that call like we have back in Deuteronomy 30, where he says, 
See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. We have the option to respond to his invitation, to respond to his call, to become part of that chosen by responding and saying, yes, I choose life. I choose to walk according to your ways, to walk in your Torah, to walk in your commandments, to walk in the spirit. And we, Paul says in the beginning of Romans 8, when he says the law of the spirit of life, because his law is spiritual and it gives life. Right. And it's interesting how these things play a part in terms of, you know, Christina, you mentioned Abraham, how Abraham was chosen and how his seed was there was this promise that his he, his seed will be numerous as the stars in the heavens, and but then he says and you, and you mentioned it too and um, in verse he says this in Romans nine verse six and he says that no not all um, not all Israel who are of Israel say so can you expand on that what does he mean by that do you think? Well, it's an interesting concept when it says not all of Israel or as he says right here for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel because what's interesting is a point he's making if we go right back to like I quoted Hebrews for by faith Abraham obeyed God called Abraham out he chose Abraham he called him out to, to cross over to be a Hebrew to obey his word to, to go into a place he's never been before and complete faith and he obeyed in faith and that's what he's talking about here because we have the physical lineage and then we have the spiritual lineage a spiritual lineage of faith. And so those, God blessed Abraham with the seed as numerous as the stars and as the, sun, um, the sand and the seashore. And they are blessed. And we see everything that is going on, the, the way that Israel is even blessing the world and impacting the world today, whether it be in science and medicine and technology. But if you think about it, what God desires is that them to that for Israel to walk in a greater blessing as well, not just in things of the physical nature, the things of this world that are beautiful and wonderful as well, but in the things of the spirit and it needs to be coupled with faith. And that is why when he's talking about this Israel, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel because it needs to be that Israel of faith, the Israel who will walk in obedience of faith. And he'll go on later to say, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. But this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So Paul is, of course, not teaching any type of replacement theology that those who are of faith now replace Israel but simply that God has called a people. He's called Israel and that people are supposed to, to, to walk in faith. He chose his people to be in his service and to spread that message of restoration of his kingdom. And in part, what is still beautiful, even those who are unbelieving in Israel are still doing a part of that. Those who are of the Jewish lineage of the physical lineage. And we see the things that they're doing, whether they're going out to other countries around the world and bringing you know, rescue missions and even helping their enemies. And that is beautiful. But imagine the impact that they would have on the world when those whose eyes are opened, who are of the physical lineage as well to the spiritual, to the faith in Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua the Messiah. And that is the point Paul is making that there needs to be something more here. There is something more here that yes, the physical lineage, that's wonderful. It's, it's blessed. God chose, he called the people, but now there's something more. It is that obedience of faith. There is that faith that needs to be coupled with that obedience and who you are as God's chosen people, as Israel to walk in his ways and to bear the standard of his kingdom. Exactly. And, and, you know, he says in verse 15, for he says to Moses, I shall favor whomever I favor and I shall have compassion on whomever I have compassion. You know, God, it's his choice. He, he made, and he called for whatever reason he chose Israel and he chose that physical lineage that started in Abraham. <clears throat> and, but not only then, like Christina said, not only they know that physical lineage, not only that, oh, you know, that, that was only the beginning of the plan to, for them to just simply carry that light of God to all the nations, for the nations to come in. But see, 
the fact is that it all comes down to faith. It all comes down. It's bloodline aside, um, Jew or Gentile aside, it all comes down to faith. It all comes down to do you believe in Yeshua the Messiah? Do you believe he is Messiah? And so, you know, I think this brings up an, a, just a good like a rabbit trail. You know, um, Israel, uh, many of many of when we talk about the physical land right now, many of them, they don't believe in Messiah, although there are many. I, I don't know if for those of you listening, I don't know if you know, but there is a massive revival, a messianic revival happening all around the world right now where countless Jewish people, brother and sister are coming to to Messiah. You know, their their eyes are being opened to that you know but at the same time we need to um, and paul talks about this later romans when we need to be we need to be thinking of them we need to be praying for israel we need to be trying to reach them those who are not whose eyes haven't been opened yet because you know this, this is this is a responsibility that's been given to much of those who are not of the physical lineage if you will of judah or you know or whatever or who don't identify necessarily as a jew you know god has given us his spirit he's given us his truth today too he's doing a revival on both ends and with that we are to provoke for as Paul said, the Jews to jealousy, and that we, and he simply means that we need to walk in such holiness and righteousness, right standing with God, that that they would see that and be like, well, that's the Messiah that I want to follow, because the Messiah that we've been proclaiming as Christians for the past thousand five hundred years is not the Messiah that they are looking for. The Messiah that we many times have been proclaiming is a Messiah that abolished the very Torah of God. A Messiah that came to do away with his father's law. And if that is, that is who Jesus is, then that is a false prophet. Because Jesus, but Jesus never taught that. Yeshua never taught that. Yeshua himself said, I did not come to teach this in Matthew 5. I did not come to do that. And even though many believe that, that is not what the true Messiah Yeshua came to teach. And so I want to submit to you that because the biggest reason, and if you look at, if you speak to a Jewish brother who is a non-believer non, non in Yeshua, their primary argument would be that why would I follow a Messiah who is a false prophet because he teaches that the law is abolished? You see, and that's a valid argument because the Deuteronomy 13 test tells us that if anyone comes to teach you that the law is abolished and teaches you anything else except for keeping the law, then that is a false Messiah. So, but the thing is that he didn't teach that. And so if we recognize that and we our eyes are open to that, we start following this true Messiah that walked the law out and told us to walk as he walked and just in accordance to his father's instructions. He didn't come to bring this new thing, throw away his father's law. And no, he, he simply taught us his father's law. And now if we walk out, guess what? The, our Jewish brothers and sisters are going to see that. And they're going to be like, well, this is something different now. This is actually a Messiah that I can follow. Because when I look at the transformation in your life, I can look at how incredibly well you can keep the word of our Father because the law is written on your heart and you've got the Spirit who helps you. All of these things that Yeshua gave you, I want that Messiah. You see, that changes everything. And, you know, we are we have become so boastful and to point the finger and uh, at them and say, oh, you know, they're non-believers. Oh, you know, whatever. It is our fault in many cases because we have not we have we have proclaimed a Messiah that is different from the Messiah in our Bible. The Messiah in our Bible kept the father's law and he, we are we have we have got a commission to walk it out so they can see the same. Exactly. And in that commission, that calling that we're given is to walk in the spirit and to walk according to God's Torah. Like PD said, this is who Messiah was. This is who Messiah is. He did not come to, to abolish or to break the Father's Torah, but he walked it out perfectly to be an example that we can also walk it out perfectly in his footsteps. And that's what we are called to do. That is our calling as his people, as his chosen people, as Peter says, a chosen people, a holy priesthood. And that is what we are called to do, to walk in his footsteps. Right. And I want to leave you guys with a, with a piece from the prophet Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah In Jeremiah 6, he said the following. He says, Thus said Yahweh, Stand in the way and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. 
and find rest for yourselves. But they said, we do not walk in it. And I raised up watchmen over you and said, listen to the voice of a shofar. But they said, we do not listen. Therefore hear you nations and know, O congregation, what is upon them. Hear, O earth, see, I'm bringing evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not listened to my words, nor my Torah. And they rejected it. You see, Yeshua said the same thing. He said, I did not come to bring you a new instruction, but that which my Father has given you from the beginning. Uh, And he says, me and my Father, we are one. We're in total agreement. I did not come in disagreement with my Father. Everything that he says, I say, and what he would do, I do. That he and his Father was one. So it should not surprise us that he only came to teach what his Father gave from the beginning. These old, this old path that Jeremiah the prophet was talking about. The, and he says that they have rejected it. They have not listened to this. They, I'm, I'm sending out shofars. I'm sending out watchmen over the nations to proclaim that, that they need to stop rejecting my instructions. And God's brothers and sisters, I want to submit that this video, this is one of those shofars. This is one of those callings to tell you, Come and, and, and return to the ancient path, as Jeremiah said. The same path that Jesus pointed back to. He kept pointing to this ancient path. Because remember, 2,000 years ago, he came and he studied the Torah. He studied his father's instructions, A to Z. Just like Paul and every single disciple. And every single one of them walked it out. <laughs> and they strived to walk it out perfectly as he did. And now he calls us to simply walk as he will. You see, many would say, Petey, you know, we don't need to do that anymore because they were Jewish. We don't need to be like Yeshua because he was Jewish in that way. The fact of the matter is that if you are his disciple, you must go and walk as he will. The the term disciple in the first um, in the first century, it the, it was very much understood that you will you would, when you had a rabbi over you, like the disciples had Yeshua over them, they would, f- would follow him, they would live with him, they would eat with him, they would drink with him, and they would do see how he did everything and perfectly imitate that. That's what it meant to be a disciple. And today, God calls us to be disciples of Jesus, disciples of Yeshua, and that means we need to look at how he ate. We need to look at how he, how, what he did on the seventh day. We need to look at what he did on the feast days of God. And those are only three things that Christianity as a whole in mainstream Christianity, we don't really look at. But God calls us to look at what did he do on those days? And because we need to imitate that. How did he, and then he taught about this thing about the heart that we've been talking about. This thing of walking out all these things in his father's instructions with the heart, from the heart. And with good intention and in love. So, so we need to go see that the, the main difference would be between me and someone who says we don't need to walk or we don't need to keep the law is that I say, theology, theology aside, all of this stuff aside, I want to walk like Yeshua. And anyone who says that I don't want to keep the law, you're really saying I don't want to walk exactly like him. And we would then need to go and use theology to make up excuses as, as of why we don't need to walk exactly like him. Brothers and sisters, I'm really direct today, but we've come to a place in Romans where Paul has came so clearly and written to us that he delights in the Torah. He delights in the law of God. And if we want to be like the disciples, like Yeshua, like Paul, we ought to do the same. May God bless you guys and keep you. I hope this series is encouraging you. Um, in the next video, we're, we, in this video, we looked at Romans 7 to 9. And in the next one, we're going to look at chapter 10, 11, and 12. And we're going to be discussing that in, 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 in next week. May God bless you and keep you and give you shalom. I just want to end this off in a prayer. So Father God, I just thank you, Father, for this, Lord. I pray, Lord, for everyone who's watching it, you would come and bring a, 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 like a, like a spirit to the heart, Lord. You would convict them, Lord, and, and, and Lord, that you would come and bring truth 
And Lord, restoration of the things that were stolen from us by the enemy, God, because many things were stolen, Father. And we ask that you would come and restore all the things that Yeshua walked out to us. That you would help us to walk just like you walk, God. Lord, no matter what that means, no matter the cost, no matter what we need to give up, no matter how many friends we need to lose, no matter how many, no matter what it means, God, we come and we ask, come and show us what the truth is regarding your word and show us how to not only walk it out, but walk it out for others and communicate this to others. Lord, help us to show others how beautiful your walk is in every way. Lord, we give you glory and honor and praise. And we ask, Lord, you would open our eyes to the writings of Paul. That you would open our eyes to Romans and and Galatians as well. And Ephesians and all his writings. As he writes from the Spirit. Fill Fill us with your Spirit, God, so we can see what he wrote from your eyes. Pray this in the name of Yeshua. Hey guys, may God bless you. Have an amazing day. Shalom. Shalom.